Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Kelly Stewart. Welcome to the Think Orphan podcast, where we seek to help you navigate the orphan crisis with experts from around the world. We're glad to have you here today and just wanted to share. Um, we're really looking forward to today's interview. I think it's it's very informative. It's um, just a topic that's hard to listen to, but also um, crucial as we begin to uh, navigate uh, the crisis of vulnerable kids around the world. Um, also, just wanted to share that we are not going to have our mailbag segment today. We're just going to wait until we get a few more questions and then we're going to tackle some of those um, with with you guys. So, Phil, what? With that, what do we have in store today? Yeah, today we have uh, a, a few good things. Um, we have thoughts from the field uh, from uh, Sarah Beth Fentress of 127 Worldwide. That'll come after the interview, as always. Um, we got another uh, recommendation in the Phil and Kelly Recommends segment. But before that, we have Krista Sharp, who is the Vice President of Aftercare for International Justice Mission. And she's going to talk to us about what iJAM is doing, about uh, the ills of cyber sex trafficking and how we can all fight against trafficking um, around the globe. And uh, so with with that topic, I just want to give a little uh, warning, as we did with um, Ashley Bryant a few episodes ago, just that the, the subject matter of this may not be appropriate for your children um, to hear. So you might want to screen it before, you know, listening to it in the car with them or somewhere else with them. And maybe uh, you can listen to it with them and talk to them about it, though, because these are issues that I think everyone needs to be thinking about, but obviously age appropriate levels. So um, with that, I just am so excited to hear feedback from everyone out there on what you're learning from this this talk and, and every other um, interview that we've had um, and any questions you have that arise from this, as well as uh, any reviews um, and ratings that you guys can do on iTunes will help out this show tremendously. So um with all of that, I am excited for you to listen to Krista Sharp with IJM. So here it goes. Well, Krista, it's great to have you here with us on the Think Orphan podcast. Thanks. It's really great to be with you, Phil, and with all your listeners. Well, uh, you know, Krista, I, I know that uh, you and I have, have been able to uh, connect a little bit and get to know each other a little bit uh, behind the scenes here, but I know that most of our uh, listeners really don't know uh, much, if anything, about you personally, and, and a lot of people out there maybe don't even know what, what IJM is doing around the world. So I was just hoping that you could uh, share with us a little bit uh, your story, how you got to be where you are today with the IJM, and then maybe share a little bit with uh, everybody about what IJM is doing around the world. Sure. And thanks for just the opportunity um, to talk with everyone today. So my name is Krista Sharp. I'm originally from California here in the U.S. And um, I am the vice president of Aftercare for International Justice Mission. Um, Aftercare refers to the services that we provide the the thousands of survivors of violence around the world uh, in the communities where we work. So I got started with IJM 11 years ago. I can't believe it. um, because I'm just so young. <laughs> um, it's been a while. Um, I originally kind of, I think my passion of course started in childhood. Um, my mom was great and kind of introduced me to lives that were different from my own of people who were just in great need of support of advocates of care. Um, 
And for me, I think especially it hit home as a young child, how much support that I had. And it was amazing to me how many people just didn't have that. And of course, as I grew and traveled and learned about the world, uh, just realized more and more how many people, especially the global poor around the world, um, just do not grow up with the security, the advocates, the structures in place that we often take for granted here in the U.S., Um, from rule of law to um, strong systems that will protect them from law enforcement to the courts to um, free media, all of those things. And so um, I grew up serving with Young Life. I was on Young Life staff for several years overseas and then serving with them here in the U.S. and ended up getting my social work degree. And wanted to work with youth who were in need of those kind of advocates, people to come alongside them. And um, so I did that quite a while ago and ever since then have worked with a wide variety of people from um, refugees here in the U.S. rebuilding their lives um, to women recovering from prostitution and sexual violence uh, to children around the world who are recovering from um really horrific violence that IGM deals with every day from sex trafficking to sexual abuse to uh, bonded labor and slavery. Right. So I've been working with IGM now for 11 years. I worked for almost eight of those years in Cambodia as our director of aftercare and then the director of the office. And I've also am now based here at our headquarters office here in Washington, D.C. Well, that's great. And, and, and can you uh, quickly just share um, – just run down what the different areas, and you kind of mentioned them real quickly, but can you just share with the audience the different areas that IJM is working in and what kind of what, what areas of the world you're working in? Yes. Yeah, so International Justice Mission is a global organization that's working to protect the poor from violence in nations um, where the justice system, the, the system designed to enforce the law and make sure communities are safe and that people can live the lives that God intended are broken. They're just not functioning. They're not enforcing the law. And they're not a resource to people. And often, I think for us in the U.S., that is so hard for us to comprehend. We can just pick up the the phone and call 911 or go to a police station or ask for help. Um, But that is not available to the majority of the world's population, especially the global poor. And so IGM works in 17 uh, areas around the world where we come alongside these broken public justice systems and work to equip them to ethically and professionally uh, enforce the law and protect the poor in their own communities. And then we come alongside those communities from community leaders, citizens, churches, other faith groups, and help them uh, to begin to work with their local justice system to receive protection and care. And so we have on our teams, we have lawyers, investigators, social workers, community um, and church mobilization staff, um, other professionals that are working together to kind of build this bridge between communities that are really struggling for protection. They experience Um, massive forms and massive numbers of everyday violence from sexual assault to land seizure, people stealing uh, Mm -hmm. widows and orphans land. We work on police abuse and torture of innocent people, primarily in Kenya. We work on bonded labor or slavery uh, around the world. We work on issues of sex trafficking and sexual assault to help those justice systems enforce the law, protect the poor, stop violence, hold criminals accountable, And then we also work with those communities to learn to identify issues of violence, to protect people and their neighbors, um, and to work together with the justice system so that communities can be made safe. 
Yeah, and and I know that you you kind of touched on it a little bit there. The the connection, you know, a lot of people will often have said to me, well, you know, we're, we're really not involved with orphan care, but we're really passionate about anti-trafficking work. And mm-hmm. I just, I'd love for you to speak to kind of the, the connection, the interconnectedness really of, of those, you know, those two areas that some people just don't see the connection with. Um, those, you know, working deeply in it, I think, see it pretty clearly. But I, I was hoping that, you know, you could just share with us a little bit about you know, that care about how, or that, that how orphan care and the work that IJM is doing in all those different areas, um, how orphan and vulnerable children really are at the forefront of a lot of what you're doing. Yes, um, there's definitely a connection between just the world's most vulnerable citizens. And that includes, of course, the the poorest of the poor around the world. Um, and within that, of course, orphans are a huge part of that, as well as widows. Right. Um, and so, So we definitely see the connection in terms of just developing nations around the world where often a lot of international focus and and development kind of money and church ministry has been put into education and prevention work and nutrition and, and medical care and all of the needs that people desperately have every day. But one area that we have not invested in globally is restoring justice systems to actually enforce the law to make people safe in their own communities. And the consequences of that um, are that often development efforts are then stunted. So Mm. let's say we build a wonderful school for children or for orphans and they can go to school. But if, if teachers are sexually assaulting students, then they end up not going to school or they're so traumatized in their own learning environment, they can't learn. Or we're building clinics, health clinics, um, but people who are enslaved right across the street in a brick kiln can't go. Um, and so, you know, we're building uh, helping people start micro enterprises and businesses to help widows or help um help uh, older orphans who are caring for their children or vulnerable families start businesses. But if the local um, bullies are taking their profits or police are shaking them down, then they can't progress uh, to a certain point. And so development efforts, while um, having done some incredible good over the past um, many decades, is really stunted from helping people live lives to the full. And so we definitely see the connection between the most vulnerable citizens in a community and their vulnerability to violence when they don't have protection. And so, for example, in in East Africa, we work with widows and orphans who have lost their parents or their husband and their land is taken by neighbors or um or extended family members, and then they're left homeless and then even more vulnerable to other forms of violence or illness or trafficking, for example. Um, In communities like the Philippines or Cambodia, Calcutta, places where we're working on sex trafficking, um, we definitely see a connection between uh, the most vulnerable children, so orphans, um, children left at home while parents have to migrate for labor, um, and their vulnerability to being um, either kidnapped or tricked or um, or just compelled into violent situations um, because of their desperate need. And so uh, even in the U.S., they've shown a, a clear direct link between uh, young girls and young women who are sex trafficked here in the U.S., our own citizens, and many of those are coming out of the foster or kind of orphan system that we have here. 
Yeah, and there's so much there, and I wish we could unpack all of it in detail. We don't have time for that today, but one of the areas I definitely want to um, touch on there is, is the how. Uh, one of the things I really love about IJM is that you, in in working with and dealing with the symptoms of the root cause fundamental issues by rescuing these kids, by taking care of these kids who have been trafficked or and adults as well who have been um, taken advantage of and oppressed and, and violence against them. But you're also dealing with the root causes and the and the um, uh, the law creation on the other side of it, and and really taking the justice systems and trying to help fix them, um, so that these these symptoms aren't happening as much, right? And so, mm. I, with that, I'm hope you know I'd like to hear from you about the really the four R's that IJM. Uh, uses to do the work it's doing and how collaboration with locals in these different countries is such a critical part of that. Yes. So what we do when we enter a community is um, we enter in, whether that's Cambodia or the Philippines or Kenya or any of the nations that we work in, is we want to help equip that broken public justice system to address a specific issue of violence um, over time and so that we can actually see that issue of violence decrease and see communities be made safer, which then allows uh, people to flourish, to live these lives God intended, to go to school, to care for their families, to run businesses. Um, and it's really amazing to see that change over time. And so the way that we do that is we have teams of investigators, lawyers, and social workers who take on actual cases and we move those cases of violence through the justice system so that we can um, move that justice system to act, action to mentor those officials, to help build bridges between communities that are just desperate for someone to come alongside them and keep them safe Um by enforcing the law, a gift we live with every day, um, and build that bridge between those communities and their own justice system that was designed to help them. And so we move these cases. We have moved thousands and thousands of cases through justice systems in the developing world. Um, and we've been able to bring almost 30,000 people out from situations of oppression or violence. And so what we do is we first want to make sure that people are rescued from that, that, that specific form of violence. So we want to see girls and women being brought out of sex trafficking and boys. We want to see children um, we want to, who are being sexually abused. We want to see their perpetrators stopped and held accountable. Often when we come into a community, that community is very used to, if there's a rapist or someone abusing children, they, the children have to go away or the family has to go away to find safety. What we want to see is, is local police come in and hold that perpetrator accountable and have him or her be removed from the community so that community can be made safe. And it's incredible to see what happens um, when the justice system does their job and to see communities then realize that they also deserve security and justice and can start caring for one another. The other thing we want to do is provide restoration to those um, survivors of violence. And so as we're working with police and government social services and courts to bring rescue, we're then working, our own social workers are working with partners in the community, with government social workers to provide care to those survivors, to make sure that they're recovering from their trauma, that they are able to live safely and healthily in their own communities, that they have access to the support they need to recover. The other thing we want to really make sure is that perpetrators of violence are restrained. 
And so that, again, goes back to our casework, working with law enforcement and courts to make sure that people who commit crimes against the laws in their own nation are held accountable for those crimes of violence. And so making sure that they actually go to jail for their crimes, that their own communities are made safe because people are held accountable. And what that does is create deterrence. And so for many people... You know, we have a statistic from Bolivia that you're more likely uh, to fall and die in the bathtub than you are to go to jail for sexually assaulting a child. Mm. And so it's very rare for most people around the world to actually see people go to jail and be held accountable for their crimes against the poor, these crimes of everyday violence. And so we want to see people held accountable. And what that does is get the word out that this is against the law, that this crime is not going to be accepted by the government, by the community, and that if you commit it, you will be held accountable. And that changes the equation for perpetrators of violence because right. now there's a risk to committing crime. Before, there was no risk. Right. And so we, they now know that they will be held accountable. It becomes more difficult for them to commit the crime, especially as communities get more educated about their rights and the law and how to protect one another. And so it's really amazing. We've seen this change communities in Cambodia and the Philippines and other nations where we work, where we actually see crime levels decrease. We see communities more empowered. We see the justice system doing their job. Um, and so the fourth R is just representation. We want to see we want to be an advocate uh, for the people that we're serving. And so we're doing that in these countries where we're building the justice system into advocates for their own citizens, into people as advocates for themselves. Um, but also here in the U.S., we work with um, individual people, supporters, uh, advocates, churches um, who are prayer supporters for us, who are praying for the, this work around the world, who are advocating for good laws, um, advocating that the U.S. stand up and be a voice on behalf of the oppressed around the world. And so we want to just equip people to represent those who are suffering from violence so we can stop it together. Yeah. And in a one area, too, that that is really um, you're working hard right now in the Philippines. You personally are working really hard in the Philippines on is cyber sex trafficking. And, and like a lot of these things that we're you know, dealing with today in these sex trafficking, bonded slavery, these issues 20, 25 years ago, some 10, five years ago, weren't really known about, weren't really out there. And I think cyber sex trafficking is now one of those things that hasn't been talked a lot about. Um, so but I true. know that uh, uh, now IJM is talking about it and it is fighting hard oh. against it. And can you, can you share with the, uh, the audience what cyber sex trafficking is and um, really what IJM is doing to fight against it? Yeah, you're right. This is one of those issues that really has hit the forefront just in the past few years as Internet technology has grown in some of these developing nations um, and really is kind of the appetite for for evil and violence um, grows in, in areas of the Internet. And so I think often when people think about pornography or or um, sex trafficking, they think of kind of the traditional method of girls being brought to brothels where men go physically to abuse them in person, or we think about um, still pictures of child pornography, but cyber sex trafficking um, is actually live directed sexual abuse of poor children around the world. And so there is a growing demand around the world, much of it from the West, uh, from the U.S. and other nations, 
where people are asking for the live abuse of children to be able to watch it on the internet. And so countries, uh, poor countries where children are highly vulnerable, again, uh, the very poor in these communities, without much support or law enforcement, orphans, for example, or children that are highly vulnerable in their own communities. We've seen all sorts of different situations. Um, And often this abuse is conducted or facilitated by relatives, by aunts, by uncles, by parents. Um, Children are abused live before camera or asked to perform sexually. We've seen children from literally from an infant, um, up to about usually infant to about 12 years old or the majority of victims we're working with. And um, they, we have abusers around the world who are purchasing these live sexual abuse shows essentially uh, from these developing nations and these nations, the internet capacity is growing. And so we're seeing it uh, grow more and more rapidly. So in the Philippines, for example, um, the Philippines gets on average about 2,600 case referrals a month just Mm. from the U S. Wow. So this is U S law enforcement who are, who are discovering these live kind of sexual abuse shows of Filipino children um, and contacting the Philippines government to report it. Hmm. And, and I know that you have some videos and some different stuff online people could go to. Can you, can you share with us what we, you know, we'll put these in the show notes as well, but can you share some of the um, materials that you've put online uh, as IJM and where, where people can find them? Yes. So we have, this is such a a difficult issue to comprehend. And it, it's often something, especially I think for those of us um, here, most of your listeners and myself here in the U.S., it's something we don't hear a lot about. And it, it just cuts at the core of our hope that children would be safe and protected. And um, it's often hard to hear and hard to listen to, but I think that that God clearly calls us to walk alongside those who are in pain, especially those who are um, alone in their pain and oppressed. And and that really is the situation. And so we just ask, yeah, for all of your listeners, for all of us to have courage to see what God sees. And and so we've created some really thoughtful, careful um, videos that, that help help us understand what these children are going through and the struggles that they're facing. Um, so one of them is about this amazing girl named Cassie, who for five years, she and many other children in her community and family were abused live on camera while she was going to school and, and living a life that on the outside seemed to be fine. Um, and we were able to work with police to rescue her and some of her um, family members Um from that abuse. We also have a video about a young boy named Marco um, who dreamt of being a superhero so he could rescue himself and his uh, sister from the abuse they were experiencing online. Um, and he, th- they are now safe. And so these videos kind of help help you guys see and experience what God is seeing every day, kind of this pain of the world. But it also shows you the hope and the joy that when we do choose to see it, when we pray against it, when we come together to put our resources together to help these governments combat these crimes and to help aftercare homes and and local ministries and 
churches identify and care for these children, then there's such incredible hope and joy as well in the healing mm-hmm. and in God's presence and in the miracles that are happening as people's lives are being restored. So I really encourage you guys to see these videos. Yeah, so do I. I've, I've, I've watched all of them. I've read all the different things that you guys have put out there on this. And, and there's some, it's really, really powerful as most, as with most things that IJM puts out that I've seen. Um, it's, it's not just professional, but it's, it's very, very well done moving, but also very informative. So I encourage everyone to check those out. Well, again, we'll have them on the show notes um, for this episode on, on thinkorphan.com. You can also go to IJM.org. And um, I know a lot of materials are there, if not all of them, I assume are there. Um, if you search around a little bit, but, uh, can you also just share with us, uh, you know, I think that a lot of people are probably wondering like, what, how can you possibly work and fight against this since it's so hidden and it's, since mm. it's just behind, you know, it's, it's literally a house, someone that looks no different than my house, um, except yeah. it's in a different part of the world and it could literally be happening <clears throat> anywhere. So how does IGM go about doing the rescue and the restoration and the restraining and the representation mm-hmm. in something like cyber sex trafficking that is so hidden? Yeah, that's a good question. And it is a very complex crime. Uh, IGM for almost 20 years now has been working to equip um, really new public justice systems, uh, police that are just starting to grow in their profession, uh, government social service workers who are just growing in their profession, courts, et cetera, uh, learn to address really complex crimes from uh, in-person sex trafficking in brothels to sexual violence to other crimes. Um, this definitely is something that that is even more complex. And and thankfully, in the Philippines, we've been there for over 15 years, and, and we've seen a lot of success in the Cambodian government's ability to combat um, in-person sex trafficking, so traditional brothel-based sex trafficking. And we've seen a huge decrease in the prevalence of that crime there. And so um, we've been building on our relationships with the government there and the police's growing capacity over the past 15 years to address sexual-based crimes against children. And so what we're doing is, is working as a bridge between uh, Philippines law enforcement and international law enforcement. So often international law enforcement are addressing these crimes, reporting them to these nations. And then we're working with law enforcement there to train and mentor them on how to um, find these families and homes. So a lot of this is taking some really sophisticated knowledge of internet um, um, methods that people use on the internet, how to find and track some of these codes. I mean, I I must say it's beyond (laughs) some of my capacity as a social worker and not the most internet tax savvy person, Uh, but we have a really incredible investigations team and kind of tech group here in the U S that is then working with our team on the ground that specialize in cyber sex crimes and how to track perpetrators of these crimes. And so what we're doing is helping build up the Philippines government capacity to do this. Um, The other thing we're doing is working with community leaders, church leaders across the Philippines to help them start to engage and understand what this is like in their community so that they can keep an eye out for it, so that they can start asking children and talking to parents and educating people and then receiving uh, information about crimes and getting those to police and to our teams as well. And so wanting to kind of hit this from all all ends. Um, and so we're really seeing some progress there. The other thing we want to do is make sure that there is 
um, a restraint of perpetrators on both sides. And so making sure that those people in the Philippines, perpetrators are held accountable. But then, of course, international law enforcement is looking for those criminals that are demanding these services from the U.S., from Canada, from from Europe, from other places across the world. And so that's what we're doing on the investigation side. With aftercare, it is also a really complex situation, often with a with sex trafficking, the victims are older. Um, they're either older teens or young women in the Philippines, but these are very young children and it's also often sibling groups. So you might have a, a group of, of two brothers and a sister or three sisters and a cousin who's a boy who are rescued. And so, and they're very young again, from infants up to 12 to 13 years old. And so what we're doing are several things. We're working with the Philippines, government to build up their foster care system, which they actually have uh, quite a good system in place. Mm. But what they need to do is become more trauma informed to understand how to help people help children recover from sexual based trauma and children who are involved in legal cases um, to help walk them through that process. And so working with with the government social services on improving their trauma care work, we're also working with churches to help them um, participate more actively in the foster care system and take these children in and care for them, because often it's the children's family members that are committing the, the crimes. Um, we're also working, of course, with uh, lots of different uh, ministries and organizations in the Philippines that have short-term assessment homes or or kind of sibling-based uh, foster care situations. So our desire is that children are cared for in their own communities, their own nation, um, and in family-based situations until hopefully they are able to be re restored and reunited with their own families. Um, and if that's not possible, to then be um, eventually cared for, adopted into a family in their own nation. And so that's something really powerful. And I know even here in the U.S., there's a movement for churches and people to engage in our foster care system and make sure that kids are protected and and cared and and, and brought into families. Right. Right. No. And that's that's fortunately a, a very powerful movement all around the world, uh, the World Without Orphans movement and and some others that is just really family-based care is, is so critical. And, and, and with that aftercare that you're talking about, you're talking about a lot of the um, trauma-based care. And are you partnering with local psychologists and social workers there? Are you going through a particular curriculum or is it, is it case by case? It's very different uh, across the board. What, how are you guys going about doing that? Yes. Um, you know, over 90% of IJM staff are nationals of the countries in which we work. So these are all our Filipino team is almost all Filipinos. They are amazing leaders, um, especially our aftercare teams. Um, they've been working in social services and psychology for decades, some of them. And so, yes, they, this is, um, quite a, a new situation for everyone around the world in terms of cyber sex trafficking and, and really starting to understand the impact on children. So we are also doing a lot of learning even as we are innovating. And so we're working with the government with, um, learning institutions to, to um, just make sure we're providing the best care to these survivors and that we're all learning as we go and making sure that the systems um, that might have been designed for either traditional sex trafficking survivors or children at risk um, are really learning about the unique needs of these kids and making sure that, that we're helping them recover from trauma. So there are some... Um, 
set curriculums that we use or, or uh, traditional methodologies. So we, we have utilized trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy um, in our care, and, and in our partners have utilized that as well. Uh, there's some good trauma-informed care trainings that we've designed curriculum for and are leading the government and other aftercare partners through. We also work on crisis intervention training to help police and government social workers and prosecutors um, increase their uh, ability to provide kind of sensitive and professional and child focused um, care amongst within those first 24 to 48 hours of identification and care as children go through initial interviews are rescued and then assessed and put into um, care situations, whether that's an assessment home or a foster care home. So there's lots of different ways that we're working with partners there um, and that they are also developing some innovative care programs. Uh, it's really amazing. One of the things we've done this Christmas is we started a a fundraising campaign through our holiday gift catalog. So mm-hmm. iGym has this gift catalog where um, people can come in and purchase a gift for their own family or for family members. And a portion of those funds will go directly towards our aftercare capacity building. So some mm-hmm. of that, of course, goes towards our investigations work and police training and um towards our attorneys that are actually representing children in court and ensuring that criminals are held accountable. And then part of that also will go towards our aftercare capacity building as we care for survivors and then as we build up the Philippine system to do so. There are so many great ways to get involved with what the IJ is doing. I think the, the gift catalog is, is one way to help from a funding perspective as well as, so funding I think is an obvious way people can get involved with IJM's work. And, and uh, again, that's at IJM.org. You can go and see all the different opportunities for that. What are some other ways, um, specific ways that listeners can get involved with, with the great work that IJM is doing in the Philippines and beyond? Oh, yes. There's so many ways. Um, Yes, of course, fundraising is always incredible, you know, a huge blessing and gift and the gift catalog is a fun way to do that. Um, But another, of course, is just prayer. That is a huge foundation and basis for who IGM is and for how we um, do the work that we do. Everything from how our teams are protected to... um, being able to move these huge, massive initiatives forward in nations um, that are also working so hard to improve their services and protect children and um, and care for survivors. We have lots of ways to do that. You can go to our website and sign up as a prayer partner. And every week you'll get a list of kind of our most urgent needs around the world mm-hmm. and can pray with us. The other way you can do that is just pray with us kind of every day or for us. Um, our teams have a, um, have, we start our day in prayer, uh, in stillness alone. And then we get together every day at 11 o'clock to pray as teams around the world. And so a lot of our supporters say they kind of set their alarm for either 8am or 11am and just kind of pray with us and for us at that time, knowing what's happening around the world. Um, another really great way you guys can pray with us is we have a international, um, global prayer gathering and this year it's March 3rd and 4th in Washington, DC. And we have almost 2000 of our supporters and prayer partners come every year. And that's where you get to meet our staff from the field, um, meet some of the people that we work with around the world and pray with us for really specific situations. And it's super cool to see what happens, what God does with that afterwards. Mm. So prayer is a huge one. 
Um, the other way is that you can um, be an advocate with us. So often we're advocating to the U.S. Congress for legislation um, that will help the U.S. be a better and stronger leader on these issues globally. Uh, the Congress just passed this week the End Modern Slavery Initiative, and thousands of our supporters and partners here in the U.S. were advocates with us to their legislators, and it passed this year. It was two years of hard work, and it's really exciting, and it means that the U.S. is going to be a major funding and um, just kind of thought leader to end slavery around the world in our lifetime, which is really exciting. So you guys can be advocates with us. Um, you can also just be a monthly freedom partner. And our monthly freedom partners are people who commit to um, fund our work every month and pray with us. So that's just the start of it. There's lots of ways you can invite an IGM speaker to your community event or church. Um, you know, that our website has some endless ideas. <laughs> Yeah, and I know they're. I'm excited. I get to I finally get to go to the global prayer gathering. I've been wanting to go for oh, years, so and so excited. yeah, so I'm finally was able to make it happen in my schedule. So I'm excited in March to be able to join you for that, and I encourage Good. everyone else out there if you're in the DC area or even if you're able to make it there to to be able to uh, join join us there. Um, one uh, before we get in the last two questions that we ask all of our, our guests. Um, I want it just to hear from you, um, both personally and if there's a kind of a way that IJM does it. But I know that one of the biggest issues with this work and, and, and especially the stuff that you, we don't want to think about, we don't want to believe that this stuff goes on in our, in our world, especially at the rate that it actually does. Um, and, and I know that if, if this stuff can only exist in the darkness, when it's exposed to the light, it, it doesn't really work anymore because yeah. people know that it's going on. But how are you and kind of the rest of IJM working to engage people's minds who simply would rather just put their heads in the sand and ignore that these tragedies are actually happening? Ah, that's a good question. I thought you were going to ask me how we maintain hope and joy in the midst of all this. Well, you can go there <laughs> too because that's a question. great question. But, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think but, that this is something that I think a lot of us – uh, you know, deal with yeah, in that's different a good ways. Question too. Yeah, because you're right. I mean, it's easier not to see these things. And I think they're just because of the growth of internet and media, we see need in every area around our own communities and around the world, and it can get overwhelming. Um, and so I think what we first do is just ask people um, to kind of do two things. You know, I think often it can get overwhelming for folks when the ask might be, oh, my gosh, get involved, move overseas, do this, you know, or some kind of right. huge, <laughs> huge ask. Um, but the first thing is really to just start praying about it um, and looking in God's word at what he talks about or how he sees people in pain, people who live in oppression, um, how he sees abuse. I mean, Psalm 10 is such a... Um, clear example of kind of what oppression looks like and feels like for people and then how God responds to it. Or, and, and once you start, I think, looking at the Bible with an eye towards what does God say about people who are abused or oppressed and, and what does God say about justice and how we are supposed to use our power and influence in those situations? It's everywhere. Like it's, it's from start to finish. 
And so um, I think the first thing we ask is just start to ask God what he thinks about all of this and just start praying for those who are suffering. And I think that really opens up the doors to God giving us his spirit of love and courage to see these things, to learn about them, to pray for them, and then to become advocates for those who are suffering. I think the other thing, of course, is just remembering um, our safety and security and freedom that there's that we have nothing to fear and God calls us not to be afraid. Um, and so we can enter into these things knowing that he is with us, that he is already with these, these children and these people who are suffering. And he has asked us to go to people who suffer. And we can do that in lots of ways. Some of us go physically, some of us go through prayer, some of us go through equipping others through fundraising, some of us go with our voice through advocating for what is right and just. And so, um, but I think we figure out what that is and what God's calling us to and what we're capable of when we first just enter into prayer and into God's word. And then the other thing is just start to get to know these people a little bit. And for some of of you guys that might be watching a video, going to igym.org and reading a story or watching one of our videos for others that might be starting to volunteer locally. Yeah. That's what I did for years yeah. at my local rape crisis center and my local refugee resettlement agency and just got to know people. And that's when I think you, you stop seeing it um, just in terms of the abuse and the pain, but you also see the hope and the joy because People are filled with resiliency. I mean, these are not just victims we're working with. These are powerful, beautiful, amazing people who are fighting for their own recovery, who are rebuilding their own communities after they're rescued, who are advocating for others, who are just really beautiful people that God designed um, to live in fullness. And so that's that's the amazing part of the story is it's so much bigger than just kind of the one aspect of abuse. This is about this, this, um, eternal call of God on us to walk alongside people who are in pain, to help people live the lives God intended for them and to experience not just the pain of the world, but then the incredible joy that's there when we get to see healing and restoration and growth and miracles. Yeah. No. And I, I, that was what I was hoping to hear from you <laughs> along those yeah. lines. Even though you were expecting a different answer, that was exactly the type of stuff that, you know, we need to hear that. We need to be encouraged to do that, to enter in without fear, to enter in without a, you know, without this, we don't want to know something because we're afraid of what it might do to us um, mm -hmm. in our life. And I think that God will, will protect us from that and God will guide us into how we're supposed to enter into it. And so um, with that, I'd like, to, I'd like to just move into our last couple questions, which um, the first one is, uh, what one thing have you read, watched, or listened to in the, in the past few months that has most shaped your thinking about the work that you're doing uh, every day? Oh, that's good. Um, well, I will say that I am... 38 weeks pregnant. So most of my reading the past six months has all been about <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the last couple of years, maybe the last couple of years. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. Just the last question you had one of the books, I've read this a long time ago, but I actually reread it every few years um, is uh, it's called the healing path. It's by Dan Allender. Mm. And um, it really helped shape me as I was starting to volunteer and get involved in issues of violence and sexual violence, 
Because what happens when we do that, of course, is that our own pain sometimes is revealed um, or people start coming to us who are close to us thinking, oh, she cares about these kind of people or he cares. I can I can trust this person to be open about my pain. And it really does open up this whole other world that we often hide from or don't hear about. And and I think our instinct sometimes um, as people, but also as the church is to kind of, we want to stay on the side of joy. You know, we want to stay yeah. on the side of God's going to fix it. You know, let's go around some of these problems and get to the good part. And this book talks about the path of Christ, of experiencing the deepest pain of the world and knowing that and our own pain as well, and knowing that God has real purpose for it and beauty in it. And that it's only through that that we actually do experience the greatest joy and healing and miracles in the world. And that we don't, if we try to avoid pain, our own and others, we don't actually experience the deepest joy and the deepest miracles. Mm -hmm. And so how do we kind of walk that path in a healthy way of experiencing both? And um, that really helped me as I was getting involved with International Justice Mission and with uh, survivors of violence um, to kind of embrace both and really feel and live both in a really healthy way. And so I love that book. Um, and then I'll just be a little promotional and our president, Gary Haugen wrote this really powerful book called the locust effect that talks about this reality of everyday violence against the poor and the lack of protection that they have and why kind of violence exists, um, around the world. So it's, it's a super good book. If, if any of your listeners want just to get a, a really good feel, a technical feel for why are there such high levels of violence around the world, especially in poor and in developing communities and countries and what can we do about it? Yeah. And for you regular listeners out there, you will, uh, that will sound familiar to you if you listen to a recent episode, um, where that was the book recommendation that I gave to the locust effect. It is a fantastic book and I will re-recommend it, um, on top of your recommendation. So it's not just self-promotion. That is something that is a fantastic book that does go into all these issues that we talked about today much deeper and will give you a real good uh, picture of how IJM's working as well. Um, but it's not just a promotional book for IJM. It's really a book that, that goes into how we um, need to be thinking about these issues and how we can really work through prayer and through other ways to fight against them in real ways. Um, so the last question here, so what person has most shaped your thinking about the care of orphan and vulnerable children and also the work you're doing with IJM? Wow. And this was a hard one for me because there's just, I've just been so blessed with so many amazing people in my life. And I, I, I couldn't, I mean, I want to be cheesy and say Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I guess I have a couple of answers. I'll try to keep them short. The first is I grew up kind of as a young life kid and had so many amazing young life leaders that came alongside me and taught me that principle of coming alongside other people in their journey, wherever they are. And so, um, that has really stuck with me throughout my life, that example of just coming alongside people where they are, whether it's the clients we serve or the police that we may, that may be incredibly corrupt or, or not know how to do their job when we come to them. And then to see them five to 10 years later, just being leaders of ethics and innovation and protection is so miraculous to me. Um, or even the churches that we come alongside who really haven't dealt or talked about issues of violence before. And then to see them become these leaders and lights in their communities here in the U.S. and around the world, um, leading on issues of justice and, and anti-violence. So um, so I, I love all my young life leaders who did that with me. Yeah. Um, I, 
I think just as I've gotten involved in this work too, the clients that we serve are people that have most shaped my thinking. I think sometimes the temptation is to think that, oh, you know, these poor victims who are, who are all, all alone. And, and, and of course there's an element to that, sure. um, in terms of, of the desperate need, but, but of course, as you get to know people who suffer from pain and violence, and all of us kind of have our own histories of pain and violence in some ways, um, you also just see their incredible courage and resilience and passion to make other people safe. And, you know, we have men we've rescued from slavery who are now attorneys who are fighting to free other people. We have uh, girls coming out of sex trafficking who are now social workers. You have... Um, you know, just widows who receive their land back and then they want to take other widows onto their land who are in the middle of their cases, just these incredibly powerful, beautiful people. Mm. And, and they really shape me as well. Um, and then I think, of course, we always just have to come back to this picture of who Jesus was to people in pain. Mm. And that just shaped me, of course, from an early age. And, and he walked alongside us and he fights for those who are oppressed and, and fights for those who are in pain to be able to live the lives he intended for them to live. So mm. I think those kind of three areas are the things that have really shaped me the most yeah. as I've grown and worked and served. Well, that's a great place to finish up. And and thank you so much for your time, Chris. Today. Thank you for all the wisdom that you share with us. And, and you know, this starting this interview, I was basically saying to myself, if God wants us to get out there, He's going to let both of our voices hold up since we're both a little sick here. So I, you know, obviously he wants to share something with this. So I'm hoping that everyone out there was as uh, touched by this as as, uh, I was. And so thanks again, Krista. And and I just hope that you continue or continue able to do this amazing work and uh, that you, you know, congratulations on the upcoming uh, baby as well. So. Thanks, Phil. Thanks to you and Kelly and just the work you guys are doing every day to equip people to care for orphans and the most vulnerable in our world. And it's just great to connect with you. And and we all share the same heart and passion. And um, so, yeah, I just wish you and your listeners all the best as, as everyone is probably serving in really incredible ways and, and loving people around them. So thanks. Well, once again, another great interview. Thanks to Krista for that uh, information that I know all of us uh, will be able to learn from and hopefully take action on. So, Kelly, what what do you think about that? Any any thoughts uh, on what Krista was talking about? Yeah, I think, you know, part of it is I was just so completely um, just overwhelmed, I think, with the information, not in a bad way, but just in that way of just um, when you hear the truth of, of how so many families um, exist across the globe and, and kids, just the things that they face, um, it, it can feel very daunting and heavy. And so I think that's probably, you know, the biggest thing coming out of it. it I just cannot fathom, you know, what some of the, some of these kids, a lot of these kids are going through and just the circumstances that bring, bring it about when you look at, you know, just, just all the things that are happening on the internet. And so, I'm so thankful for IJM and organizations like them who are um, going into the hard places, who are doing the the work, who are um, who are 
just attacking these issues um, with the best of their ability. And so, you know, I think just it makes me want to hold my kids close um, when I when I uh, hear this. It makes me want to uh, just cocoon them as much as I can, but also um, equip them to know how to uh, handle themselves online, but also even in the world around them. So what about you? Yeah, you know, it's it's something that as much as I hear about this stuff, um, it still blows my mind that there's people that are doing these things uh, to these children. Um, but it's real. And it's something that we need to face. As, as Krista was talking about at the end, it's stuff that we need to know is a reality and we need to know how we can fight against it, how we um, individually and corporately can do things to fight against this tragic, tragic stuff going on around the world. Um, you know, and as you watch, I, I encourage people as hard as it is to do, watch the videos that IJM made, the, mm-hmm. the Cassie video and the Super Marco video. They're phenomenal videos that are just raw and real. Um, and it's stuff, you know, like we talked about that you're not, you don't want to, it's not like you want to go, oh, yeah, let's go watch this stuff. It's, it's not easy to watch, but it's things that you need to know about and it's things that you need to fight against and we all need to fight against. And this, you know, the IJM and, and Gary Hoggins initial book, Good News About Injustice, as I talked about in the first uh, podcast is one of the things that got me into orphan care. So that these, these things aren't, you know, silos. These things are all interconnected. These things, uh, trafficking and the orphan care and, you know, and family preservation and poverty alleviation are all interconnected. These kids are caught in this because a lot of times their parents are so desperate because of poverty that they put their own kids into it. That's not something a, a parent in their right mind would do. And so these are things that I just encourage everyone out there to watch those videos get involved and become advocates against these terrible, terrible things that are going on. And, um, you know, with that, I just want to transition into the thoughts from the field. Um, this uh, week, we have thoughts from the field from Sarah Beth Fentress. And again, she's of 127 world worldwide. And um, we're just going to go right into it. So Sarah shared uh, what one thing she feels is is the thing that we really need to address in orphan care and how she would go about taking it on. Um, my name is Sarah Beth Fintress with 127 Worldwide, and I think one of the biggest issues with orphan care today is just awakening the church in America to um, use their p- passions and talents and gifts to tangibly live out James 127. First um, Peter talks about that we've been given gifts so that we can bring glory to God, and I feel like <clears throat> the church in America just needs to realize that you've been a blessing to other people, even blessed so that you can be a blessing to other people. And um, how has God gifted you and how can you use those skills? Um, I know with 127, we've had a lot of success um, just connecting people with agricultural skills or medical skills or teaching skills, leadership, and just allowing them to invest how God's gifted them into um, vulnerable communities. And I feel like that's really the passion of 127 is just connecting people to meet the needs of orphans and widows around the globe. Well, thanks to Sarah Beth for that, uh, those great words. Um, I just encourage all you to go on to 127worldwide.org and see what they're doing um, in a few different countries around the world and um, you know, maybe get involved in some way with them. So Kelly, right now we have Phil and Kelly Recommends, and I'm excited to hear what you're going to bring to us today. 
Yeah, I think one of the things I want to recommend people check out is actually uh, just a quick, it was a quick Facebook video that I saw um, from Simon Sinek about millennials in the workforce. Um, but it really, more than that, I think it just described millennials in general um, and, and just the effects that um, constant connection um on a, on a device has really shortchanged the ability of a lot of millennials to be able to actually connect in person. Um, and so it was just fascinating to me, I think, especially in light of uh, what we just listened to and just how, uh, the, you know, the cyber world is really just, it's here. Um, but it, seeing how it's affecting the brain, it's a, affecting people's ability to connect, to problem solve. Um, it was really fascinating. So I just, I just recommend that. I think it's, it's, it's a quick 15 minute listen. I don't normally listen to long videos or watch them, but this one was really, really good as well. Um, and in light of that too, and really what we've been hearing, um, our family uses, um, another, um, they uses a filtering a system called uh, circle by Disney. Um, and it, it really kind of just gives you peace of mind. It allows you to really, uh, really set limits for every device in your home. And so it could be a kid setting, a teen setting, an adult setting. Um, it can shut the internet off. It can set bedtimes. Um, but it also allows you to see kind of exactly how much time your kids are spending online, how much time you're spending online, um, and also able to kind of um, really just be aware of what's going on in your home uh, with your kids on devices. So highly recommend that. So those are my recommendations, Phil. Well, great. Um, and that is just a great way to end this show. So without any more, have a great week and look forward to talking with you again next week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. And for all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening. And we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.